0: From New York City, a podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights, this is the Cry Havoc Company.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have Tim Davis, I'm an actor and a writer.
2: Jen Reichert, I'm a writer. Carrie Flanagan, I'm an actor. Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor.
1: And Kit Lavoy, I'm a writer and director. This is the final episode of our second season. And next season, we're going to start actually having uh, more different members of our company join us for these discussions to talk about topics about which they are especially expert. But for the end of this second season, we wanted to do a topic we've actually talked about doing for a while, which is talking a bit, f- for the five of us, about how we came to be the artist that we came to be. And uh, uh, part of this came from, I know when I think about when we're recording the podcast, when I think about the person who's listening to it, I actually tend to think of myself right after I graduated college. Which there was a point, you know, I had been doing theater for quite a number of years. There was a lot that I knew that I, I still hold on to. There was a lot that I had not encountered that I didn't know yet. And there was also a lot that I thought sure I knew and came to discover later was not really the case. So, for this final episode of our second season, uh, we're going to talk a bit about how all of us came to, have to think about theater the way we do today, uh, how we thought about it at different points in our life, including both what we thought about the craft and what it meant to be an actor, a writer, a director, but also the place that it held in our lives. So, to kick off, what was your first memory of the theater?
3: I, when I was thinking about this, I thought, I honestly can't remember... A point in my life when I was not immersed in the I, I my earliest memory is probably my mother always played the Avida soundtrack in my house growing up. My mom did too. Are you serious? Yeah, she was a big thing <laughs> in the '70s and '80s. But uh, they, um, she, I, and I just I started dancing when I was three, and I and I don't really remember n- seeing something that said that's what I want to do. I just always knew, and and that was part of it. Hearing the Evita soundtrack, I kind of knew that whatever that lady was doing on the record was what I wanted to do. So
0: that's yeah. Well, I actually didn't even recognize it as theater because yeah. uh, where where I grew that's up the there radio. just wasn't a lot of theater to watch. I I have I have no specific memory of theater, but I know I must have seen shows at the school that I went to, but there was no shows that I went to that outside of that context. So I it must have been watching like older kids do shows at school, but I have actually no specific memory until I was actually like auditioning for my first show.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I actually, my my first memory of theater actually was my first was the first show I ever did, which I actually think I talked about in the last episode of doing a Christmas Carol in the fourth grade, and uh, and actually my memory of it was sitting in the music room when they were announcing the cast and not hearing my name called as someone who was uh, who who had a speaking role <laughs> and being upset by it. And 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 actually, I went to the teacher afterwards, and I said, I just want to be sure I, I, I didn't hear my name. I know, I know. Um, and they ended up actually, some kid wasn't able to do the show later, uh, and so they actually gave me his part as this little part as, uh, as as nephew Fred. Um, but that was the.
3: Do you remember your line?
1: <laughs> no, but I I mentioned that last time, because I do remember being backstage and the wreath wasn't there. Going, where's the wreath? Which everyone, everyone. Uh, Hurt. <laughs> <So, laughs> <laughs> that was my line. I something Merry Christmas, Uncle Scrooge, but I think that was uh, a...
0: I actually, I had the same thing, which is I couldn't remember, because I was trying to think about, you know, when I first came to it, but the, my, my first memory of theater was auditioning for The King and I in sixth grade and not being cast. So, like, it, and that's, that was so strong. And, like, all the other memories surrounding that, I can't even remember the names
2: of the, the show, the, like, the first show I was in. <laughs> I actually literally just called my parents right before this podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> to see what show they first took me to. And mm-hmm. they have no memory either. Well, um, no, in any case, it wouldn't have been your first memory. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been lying to you all. But I, I likewise did dance since I was three or four, whenever you're allowed to start... So that's kind of my first memory of, like, performing. But actually, my first memory of theater was in fourth grade. My teacher called my mom and recommended that I take an acting class. I thought, she must think I'm really talented or see something in me, which didn't make any sense because I was just in the fourth grade and in class. <laughs> and it turns out my mom told me later that it was because I was shy. <laughs> so she thought it would be good. To, she knew of this, like, acting teacher in the town, and it would be good for me to take an acting class so that I could open up. And I did. I took that in class.
4: <laughs> I always feel like so many of my memories are this confusing near-miss of... I, I just feel like things from early in my life should, should make more sense than they do. But both the, the first theater show I ever remember seeing and my experiences of them sort of make sense that it, it's always sort of... There's always sort of a weird disconnect. The first theatrical anything I remember seeing was being in kindergarten. And they brought in some group for the entire school to do some sort of Halloween pageant. It was a musical, and I don't remember much about it except for images of it. And they sang some song in a minor key, which I I now know is a minor key, but all I know is the time it terrified me. And I spent the entire pageant (laughs) crying (laughs) with my face buried in the kindergarten teacher's lap. Because whatever whatever it was just you the, were in college at the time. Yeah. That's that's my my first memory of any theatrical performance at all is, is being absolutely terrified and 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 disturbed by it and crying and the first actual theater show I ever remember seeing was uh, a production of Annie, but in the, in the same way that there's sort of this disconnect was I was incredibly uh, nearsighted as a kid that wasn't diagnosed and corrected until like a couple years after the showing of Annie so I sat in the and didn't know any better but I sat in the back of the theater you know in this huge amphitheater watching Annie and couldn't see anything <laughs> <laughs> and somehow that that, <laughs> that just seems apropos for so many of my memories which is it's you know it, it, it sort of happened but there's this weird disconnect where I didn't <laughs> quite get the thing out of it that I was supposed to where it was, you know, there was a clear lesson involved or there was a clear something I took away from it. And there was a dog in the show that Did. you didn't know. <laughs> I, I was surprised by so much later
1: on. <laughs> I actually just realized the first show I think I saw actually was Annie. It actually is not the first show I remember seeing, but I think it was Annie. And what was weird was there was, we it was a benefit for something and we went to see the show and then had dinner with the cast and I later, much later came to realize there was a girl who I went to college with who I discovered like two years after I met her had played Annie in that production. That's awesome. And uh, <laughs> it, just sort of weird small world that I'd had dinner with her when I was in the third grade. Hmm.
5: What,
1: what was the first show that you guys remember seeing?
3: Um, yeah, I really don't remember. Yeah. I, I'm thinking... I, because I did a lot of, I did a lot of, because at my church, I'm sure a lot of people had this as their first experience, that a lot of churches do cabarets and church shows. Maybe it's just mine. I don't know. No, I've seen that. But, uh, so I did a lot of theater growing up, and like shows and stuff like that, and I think I didn't go, I want to say it was Joseph. Joseph and the Amazing, I mean, I think at a dinner theater I saw Joseph and the Amazing.
2: Yes, it definitely was. We went a lot to the North Shore Music Theater in Massachusetts. And my parents think they think that um, like the daycare used to take us to see like family shows, like nursery rhyme shows or whatever at the theater.
0: I don't remember what that like the, the first show I saw because I was always trying to be in them, so I was never watching the show. Mm-hmm. Either I was in it or I was like backstage or something. So it, it it's really hard to point to like what is something I saw that I was not. That I wasn't a part through. of. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I remember, although apparently I had seen Annie before this, but the the first show I, I really remember going to see was Big River on Broadway, which was the um, Huck Finn musical and it was it was I think the beginning of fifth grade or so that I had read Huck Finn that summer. My parents decided they were going to take me to see this show. And I just remember thinking, I have such weird and very vivid memories surrounding that that I remember thinking, why would I want to go see a musical? And not that I was against it, but I really like, I, I remember thinking my parents were really excited to take me to it and I didn't understand what it is we were going to do. And I remember very vividly walking into the theater and just like, I felt very special. Like I felt like this is a very special event to go into this Broadway theater. And I have no recollection of the show at all. But I do remember talking incessantly for the next several days about the actor who played Pap in it, who was John Goodman before he was anyone. And I actually still think he's one of the great um, mm-hmm. underrated actors in America, but I think it was funny that in the fifth grade of all the people in the show, he was the one who I was so fascinated by.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: What was
1: it, if you had to pinpoint it or at least you know take a stab at it, that attracted you to the theater to begin with?
0: Um, I think uh, initially it started as something, you know, like a really young child's dream of being like a movie star. I think it was one of like the earliest things I said I wanted to do was to be an actor. But it was a film, television actor rather than a theater actor. And I think the attraction was that you could be anybody, you were doing everything in the world. Like, every new movie you were in, you were doing something else and going somewhere else. And it was the idea of being everybody and doing anything you wanted. Uh,
3: again, I don't remember... Because I I never wasn't doing it. So I don't remember being drawn to it. But I, what I do... I had a huge ego as a
5: child. <laughs>
3: and I think that initially that was a lot of it. Like, it's different now. But uh, that that it was that I was very clear at the very specific kind of attention I got from performing. And so early on, it was definitely something aligned with that.
4: Mine was very similar. I didn't actually start acting in earnest until college, but the, the first show I ever did, the first performance I ever did, I was in the sixth grade, and it was a Christmas Carol. And I didn't really have any interest in acting, or, and it was a musical, version of Christmas Carol. I didn't have any interest in singing or acting but I had a great deal of interest in getting attention <laughs> and a specific yeah. amount of attention and I remember at the point you know I, I played sports as a kid and, and, uh, and I did fairly well in school so I was sort of used to winning and getting a lot of attention for that and so when uh, you had to take chorus in, in sixth grade everybody had to sing and when they were going to do this this Christmas Carol you know musical you know there was a some sort of competition what I saw as a competition to become Scrooge. I'm like, well, that's that's one more thing. I need to win that. I need to win this. And what I remember specifically about it was feeling the entire time like I was going to win. And then I didn't. They cast this other kid as a lead. Chris Jost. I remember this because we played basketball together. And uh, I was very disappointed by that. But they made me the understudy. And I had never made this connection until now. The way they would set up the performances is that Chris was going to do all of the public performances for the faculty, for uh, all the parents that would come, things like that. I would get to do one performance, and that one performance would be for the student body, which actually became the most important performance for me because that was the one that was going to that I, I gained attention. From my peers, I gained, you know, or at least was attempting to gain sort of respect and notice and notoriety from my peers. And I just remember thinking at that time that who is in my social circle? You know, girls I want to impress, guys, you know, who are my friends who I want them to be proud of me. That was so much more important to me than the hundreds of parents who would come to the big event who I didn't know. It's interesting because I still work that same way.
2: For me, I think it was it was definitely the attention, and uh, I was obsessed with Star Search, watching Star Search. (laughs) (laughs) It was, I mean, it was it was the attention. It was the idea of of being famous. Yeah. From being in my high school. I think there was I think there was some of that
0: too for me, but I mean, it was the 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 looking into what being an actor was was initially about, what what it actually was like to do it. Mm-hmm. But then once I was trying to be in shows it was definitely, you know, I want I want people looking at me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I think I I never thought when I was younger about being a star, quote unquote. But I think it was very much about a social thing. I mean I know when I was growing up I lived like right on the border of school districts and the result was I kept sort of ping ponging back and forth between like every time we would switch schools, everyone I knew would go to one school and I'd go to the other. And then, and the result was, you know, that I really, I felt, I always wanted to, I always felt like I was a step behind everybody else in terms of the social circle I was a part of. And I always thought of, you know, if I could be in something and be the star of something, it's a chance to, would be a chance to impress a bunch of people at once. You know, it would be a chance to fit in, in a way. But I didn't actually want to fit in. I wanted to more than fit in. I wanted people to fight over who, which social group I was going to be, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I think that that was a, a really critical part of it. I mean, that was the reason after when I wasn't cast in A Christmas Carol, I went and said, why aren't I cast? Like, it was important. And I also, I mean, I also really remember when I was in sixth grade, right before I was about to go into junior high school, they brought kids from one of the junior high schools to do sections from their production of Pajama Game and I remember Dan Chen who was a I love how we when, all know the names. Yeah, who had graduated the year before me, was the lead in it, and I thought it was terrific, and everyone was talking about him. And I remember he was kind of a little bit of an odd kid, but everyone clearly loved him in this production and things like that. And I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to junior high, and that's what I'm going to do. And so I auditioned for the first production, junior high, and got cast in the chorus, and I quit. And because I said I didn't want to be in the chorus. And that actually was such an unbelievably seminal event for me, I think. Because afterwards, all of my friends were going to... Or the people I wanted to be, my friends, were going in the afternoon to rehearsal. And were having all of these great things. And I wasn't. No one was around. And I just remember thinking, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy who quit something because he didn't get exactly what he wanted out of it. And it really, actually, I mean, it really... There is a lot about the way I lived the rest of my life that goes back to the fact that I made what I really thought at the time, and I think was right, was a huge mistake by quitting because I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get the big enough part that I wanted. And I do think it's something that is a misconception that so many people, I'm not even sure if it's a misconception, but I think that there's a lot of people who are drawn to theater I mean, I think we're all sitting here saying there's a big part of it for us because it's a place that gives them real validation. You know, that it's a place in their lives where they do something they feel good about and people en masse stand up and clap for them because they did a good job. And that I think that there's a lot of people who really, that's what theater gives to them. And then they come to New York (laughs) to become a professional actor, which is if there is a place in the w- in the world that gives you less validation, there may be Turkish prisons that give you less <laughs> validation <laughs> than coming in cold to the audition process of New York City. Mm-hmm. But it really is, I think, the, I think <laughs> the reason a lot of people are actors or want to be actors is a reason that simply does not exist yeah. when you are coming to New York. When it's a
0: career, th- yeah. it doesn't exist. When it's... When it's a, f- a fun activity on the side, maybe.
1: But yeah. Uh, let's talk a bit about theater in high school. I mean, I think most of us did theater in high school. I know at least one of us actually didn't start doing theater in a, in a, in a real way until after high school. What, what was your experience? What kind of theater did you do in high school? Or if you didn't, what did you think about the people who did do theater in high school? <laughs> <laughs>
3: I did a lot of theater in high school. I did... Um... My high school had a big musical, so that was, I did all those. They did one year, but then I also, every, like, all summer was in a community theater or dinner theater somewhere doing something. So I did a lot of theater. It was mostly musical theater. I think, actually, I only did musical theater in high school.
0: Yeah, my th- my uh, high school did um, a musical every other year and then, like, a straight play the alternating year, so I, I tried to do as many of those as possible, but I actually... Um, I moved for one year of high school I lived in Canada instead of in Ecuador and because that year I was in a completely different system they had different classes you know they let me kind of choose the schedule so that when I went back to my high school I could do I could fit my credits back into the the system I was going to go back to so I had all this freedom with what I chose and I chose to take essentially two two years worth of drama in a year because that was how the Canadian system worked. So I was like taking like 10th grade drama and 11th grade drama one right after the other. So I spent almost like an hour and 20 minutes a day taking drama for that year. And in a, in a school where drama was really important and so much more than my regular high school, they had just so much more. And I, I learned all kinds of stuff and we went on field trips. It was in Saskatoon. Like we went to, you know, the fringe and we saw a production of, Twelfth Night, which is like the first production I remember, you know, wow, that's how it's really supposed to work.
1: It's so weird, because I actually went to see a production of Twelfth Night at Trinity Rep in, uh, in Providence, that, did, that was the first production that I went to see after I had really started doing theater, that actually was transformative in the same way.
0: Yeah, and you I know. think that it's just that sort of, it was like an immersive year for me f- for drama, and then after I went back to my high school, I was completely different. In, as far as like what I, what I thought it was to be an actor.
3: I uh, can remember clearly. <laughs> uh, my first, my freshman year in high school, we did uh, Anna Get Your Gun. And I remember I was 14 and I was like, L- let me just get into this show. I just wanna get into the show and see what happens. I, of course there's part of you that's totally naive and doesn't. I was convinced I'd be the star of it, which was ridiculous. Especially in my high school, there was a lot of talented people and, and theater was really supported at my high school. So I got in. I did the chorus, and then the, n- <laughs> the next year, they did Annie, and I was like, done and done. <laughs> I'm like I'm a redhead who, forever, doesn't know. And any little girl at that time in the eight, early '90s and around that time wanted to play this part.
2: Done and
3: done. And uh, so I was so convinced, and I was so full of myself, and I was completely. I was like, there's not a chance, and there was not a chance that I, this wasn't going to happen. It came down to me and uh, another girl, and. Uh, she ended up getting it, and I literally remember being floored because I I just didn't even know how that could possibly happen in a correct universe. Mm-hmm. And uh, they cast me as one the one of the other orphans, so I was like, all pepper. right, that was Pepper, <laughs> I which was you were. which was the angry <laughs> orphan, so it worked out perfect. But uh, so I did it. But I remember that's when it started. Something started to point away in me then of understanding that. Is more to this than whether or not you get a part or something <laughs> like whether or not you are a genius but uh the next year we did fiddler on the roof and this is my favorite memory from high school because it came down to me and the same girl for uh chava and uh i ended up getting it this time but i was very clear that now after the big ego went down that it was because i was just more right for it it had nothing to do she's very talented she, was, she works in the city all the time now this girl she's great But my favorite memory of that show and what I learned the most is we did, for any of you who know it, we did a Sabbath, we were working on the Sabbath prayer number. So they were very, (laughs) very serious about this rehearsal because they were like, you cannot do anything that will embarrass people (laughs) that come to see the show. Like, this is a very serious tradition in this faith. You have to, you know... And they did this thing where they lined the the auditorium with all the you know in high school it's like eight thousand people in the show they lined the uh, the auditorium with different little families that were experiencing the Sabbath prayer all over the village, so because we're sixteen year old girls we're laughing left and right about nothing, and they that rehearsal took I think three hours that song we did for three hours because I remember our director stopping every time anyone laughed and was like you. Will not disrespect this story, and ju- and I remember laughing for at least a good hour before I finally calmed down, and realizing all of a sudden something became so clear to me, and that is, and I actually felt myself shrink because I was like this, it's the story that's important, and I remember thinking that, and that was the first time I thought it when I was so I was like sixteen, which I think is pretty great, and that worked out perfectly because the next year I got cast in the ensemble. <laughs> and I and I did it because I got it then. I, I got
1: like I was like okay I, I I was bummed but I got it. Actually I I I have a somewhat similar story but a little bit different which I I remember uh being in a show in high school and like I was at this point very close to the director who was directing it who actually was a professional actor the brother of the guy who ran the theater who would come in from time to time to direct a show and I was assistant directing for him and he was really a wonderful guy and a great mentor to me but I was also in the show and kind of was you know this big scene and I was you know showing off and doing funny stuff which was you did air quotes because I don't think it was funny it was you know it was (laughs) And in the middle of this huge rehearsal with 200 people on stage, all of a sudden, from the darkness, you're... Hold! (laughs) (laughs) Kit Lavoie! I said, yes. (laughs) You are ruining my show! (laughs) 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 But I have actually also... Later treasured relationships that I have had with actors, where you can just say, "Dude, let's go back and let's do it well this time." And, you know, where you don't have to take care of them. But the but but that actually was something where I was like, "You know what? That's true. This is not my moment in the show to be wandering away with it." So.
2: Thank you, voice of darkness. <laughs> um,
1: but but my experience in general in high school, which led up to that, because that was probably, I think, the summer actually of my, between high school and college, was that I actually moved, uh, after all of this weirdness in in elementary school and junior high school, I moved between my freshman and sophomore years of college of high school rather, up to Cape Cod, to the school where actually theater was a big deal, you know, it's it's a really big deal, and actually they did recently, uh, I mean, they did this web documentary, about my high school theater program recently, and that girl Shabon on uh, on, on American yeah. Idol, went uh, came from my theater program, from high school, but it was a big deal in the town. It was actually really well supported, and you know it was like there were th- three or four hundred kids in the drama program and things like that. So I decided, you know, that I was going to try to be a part of that, and it was actually relatively shortly after I had quit that show and decided I didn't want to do that again and so I auditioned for the first show and it actually was A Christmas Carol again <laughs> and was cast as a street kid, And I, but I decided I was, gonna, I was gonna do this, I was gonna do it right, and so like I think most high school theaters, because they used to do these big productions and looking back on it, they did big productions on not a lot of resources and I learned a lot from that about how to really make the most out of what you have. But, you know, they would have these tech calls every Saturday and Sunday to come build the set, and the whole thing was everyone in the cast had to come and do like three hours of work on the set. But I would come, they'd arrive at 7, and I was there waiting, and when they went home at 10 that night, I went went home. And that was, you know, I would just every moment they would let me work on the show, I did. And I remember right towards the end of my first semester there, you know, they had the drama office and there was Jeff Stuckey who was the president of the of the drama club and I thought he was awesome and he was, uh, you know, nice to me, which I, I appreciated. And he, I was walking down the hall and he called me into the office and he said, he said, uh, I, I want to talk to you about something that the, uh, the treasurer of the company just got some fellowship or something and is leaving next semester, isn't going to be there. And we were talking and we would like you to do it if you're interested. And... One thing I found out later was he had not talked about it with anyone, including the faculty advisor of the <laughs> organization. So apparently I was delighted. And Jeff said, you know that new kid? I made him the treasurer, which was... <laughs> <laughs> but that was something I didn't have to be involved in. But but I, I remember, though, that that was... I mean, I was so delighted. And with the idea that, you know, what I wanted, the reason I was attracted to theater to begin with was, was such a social reason. And I think... It, like I mentioned before, not just fitting in, but also looking for a place to be a leader. I remember walking out and my father picking me up from school, and I said, I think this is the best day of my life. <laughs> because it really was like this, finally, the sense that I had been recognized for something. Out of all the 400 kids they could have picked, they picked me. And I, but it was funny, because even at the time, I felt like that's silly, the best day. But looking back on it, I mean, that was an absolutely pivotal day in my life. Because the result was I lived in that theater for the next two and a half years. I lived there. I never got my license in high school because I lived within walking distance of the school and where did I go but to the school to go to work in the theater. And it was, I mean, it really was an incredibly important day. But, I mean, so much of, I think, the reason that I started being interested in theater was for social reasons. But since this really solidified it became my social base at school and That is why I ended up spending so much time and that I think is why it became so much of what my identity was Not because I was born to be an actor, but that's what I spent all my time doing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: I feel like I have like four huge memories from high school of that I think have influenced me later one is we we only did straight plays There was one musical my senior year, and actually I remember not auditioning because I was so nervous because I had never sung before. And actually it's probably one of my great regrets because I I still have never been in a musical. And I think I probably, as a senior, I think I probably would have been put in and would have learned Mm -hmm. how to be in a musical, which I feel like would have been important. I also feel like I was excited, because at this time I was still watching Star Search, I was uh, one of the only freshmen cast in the, the big show my freshman year, Dracula. And I remember, I was the maid, and I remember um, sitting on the edge of the stage during one of the rehearsals, and one of the sophomores asked me how many lines I had. And I remember, <laughs> and I remember like, I had, I had counted it out. I was like, you know, 20. <laughs> and I was like, and I remember one of the seniors overheard us and was saying it's not, you know, basically it's not about how big your part is and blah, blah, blah. And actually that was kind of, I was put in my place and it was actually a really cool moment. And I remember, which I loved, and at the time I was like, this is the most frightening thing. But Mr. Enslow, our director, had group auditions, open auditions. So you would, whoever, you know, auditioned came at, you know, five or, you know, three or whatever, whenever school got up. And you sat in the audience, and then you would, you would be paired up and go, you know, rehearse in the hallway scenes. And then you would go up in front of everyone and do have your audition. And I remember being frightened of it, but that's, like, how I learned how to audition. So I remember then in college having, some, having a callback for Ideal Husband, and they lined us up, like all the women, for this part. And you had to audition in front of the other women. And I remember being totally comfortable doing that because that's how I knew how to audition.
1: My high school was actually a bit the opposite of that, in terms of that they did only musicals. And I don't sing. So I actually was never, until the end of my senior year, cast in in a speaking role, actually. And my senior year we did Pippin and Charles, uh, Charlemagne, was, in, and he has a song, but it's a speaking song, and candidly I think they just gave it to me because they thought it was time. But I mean that that was something though that I I still it was it's odd because I was also in the yearbook superlatives voted like most dramatic like dramatic Me too. Sorry. Uh, but I think that was for a different reason. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um but I, looking back on it I hadn't really thought about it but I think that was sort of interesting that even though I was very rarely on the stage that it was something that people did know about me that that uh uh you know because it it was something that was Really important. But the result was, I think, that I became, I started assistant directing all the shows, which I learned so much from watching other people work and watching the way the directors worked with them. You know, and also that's when I became, began writing too. Because the drama club was affiliated with, like, a summer drama program, this family theater. And they would write musicals that were done. And, you know, they are mostly family shows, The Hobbit we did and things like that. But, you know, I became, I think, as a reward for the amount of work that I was doing, they let me become part of the process of writing things. And so, you know, I think it's, it's weird that that's where, that's where that came in.
0: That actually... That reminds me that my experience in the 10th grade in Canada with this kind of like theater immersion I wasn't getting big parts. That didn't happen until I went back to my old school. I was just doing a lot of different things. I helped with costumes. I, you know, I I was in the chorus and a lot of things. I just did a lot of work in the class, but I was there all the time. That's the only thing I had to do and they asked me, they had two shows that they were they were doing for this competition at one act plays and they asked me to be the stage manager for one of them and I'd never done that before and I was really excited that they asked me to do that um I think I probably auditioned for it but (laughs) I didn't get it but we we were in this competition and we did not win but they asked us to put the play into the Fringe Festival that summer. And that was my first experience with a festival. And this idea that all around the world there were these Fringe Festivals was completely new to me. But because it was in the summer, one of the girls who was in the show was going to be in Europe. And so they asked me to step into the role. Because I'd been there for the whole rehearsal process. And I was just like whoa, this was like the first big part that I'd ever done. And it was because I was around mm-hmm. and they liked me mm-hmm. and they thought I could do it. And it was just, it was that was the first time, you know, that happened so often that the person who's there and kind of deserves it gets a shot.
1: It's so ironic i, I that that's totally true. That was totally my experience of high school. And it took me so long to learn in the professional world that the same exact thing know, is true. I know, I was just going to say that. <laughs>
3: I remember uh, I had a, con- I mean, jumping ahead and then we'll come back, but the, I had a conversation with a teacher I had in grad school and he said, "It's like, geez, he's like, really, at the end of the day, just stick around. He's <laughs> yeah. like, if you're still there, you're going to do something. <laughs> well, I, I think
1: we are jumping forward, but seriously, it's the thing that I, when I talk to people who are graduating from college, and that's the thing I tell them is your time between 22 and 25 is much better spent interning and taking tickets at the Atlantic and doing anything to meet the people to get them to know that you're a good person who they're interested yeah. in having around than being out there and auditioning and or interested. doing your own shows in the basement of churches. There's such value. But it's it's a lesson that I should have learned just from my experience in high school. But the great lesson over my whole life is the way things work in high school is the way things work Always. It's the way things work on Broadway. It's a microcosm of it. There are many things that are different in terms of, I think, the approach to the work and things like that, but the social situation of it doesn't change.
2: And the idea about being a good person, people want to help other people. And even if, if you're surrounding yourself with those people that, that you respect or whatever, if you're interning at the Atlantic, or people will want to help you if you're a good person and, and will help you get to that place. And actually, to go back to what Kit was saying, because I, one of my great regrets, which is not being auditioning for that musical, um, my senior year of high school, because I didn't audition, I became the assistant director slash stage manager, and then for the next, I loved it, I fell in love with that, and then for the next you know five years or so, decided that I wanted to be a professional stage manager because of that experience.
1: Mm. And that's actually how I met you, Yeah, was that you were stage managing a show that Mm -hmm. I directed. One other big thought about high school is that I think I was very fortunate about the time that I happened to be at that school. Because, again, they did have this big theater program, in very large part to the director of the program, who just, he had ambitions to do these great big shows. He was an artist, a visual artist, by training and would do these huge productions on these very small budgets. But the year that I came, my sophomore year, he was on sabbatical doing a graduate training in animation. And then he came back for my junior year, and then my senior year he took another sabbatical to go off and work on a film. So the result was that my sophomore and uh, senior years was with one director who his focus was much more on the acting work and the characterization and storytelling where my, the middle year, my junior year, was with someone whose real focus was on the production. And there was something about really having both of those things as part of my early kind of full-time theater life that I just find really valuable in retrospect, that I was able to, you know, encounter uh, both of those approaches early on, you know, and try to figure out even at the time what I thought the right balance between them was. Tim Davis, you haven't spoken a lot, and I think it's because you're the person (laughs) who did not do theater in high school. Do you want to talk about that a bit? You know, yeah, and it's so funny because I was sitting
4: here thinking about how during high school I had other interests. You know, I I, I was an athlete. You know, I played football. I played basketball. I, I did judo. And so I was sort of immersed in what seemed to be important socially and culturally at the school, which was athletics, which seemed to be how you became cool. It's how you became, you know, someone worth knowing. And so that's what I endeavored in. And I was athletic, but I was always like a, I was always a smaller kid. Um, so there was always this striving to sort of earn my place in the social circle. Yet it's funny, I look back on it and I, I was totally immersed in music. I was one of those guys who, who you know, bought every, uh, uh, Cassette. I've just dated myself. Bought every cassette I, I possibly could of, of every band I'd heard of and bands that those bands would reference. I watched movies incessantly and loved the people in them and loved the people who made them. I loved comic books. I knew everything about who was writing them and what they were doing. So I was completely immersed in, you know, for what was available to me, the arts. None of it theater. Um, because it was weird. It was. It was never it was never discouraged nobody ever said don't do theater but it was they my school did a, a fall play and a spring musical and it was never explicitly stated but it was just sort of just sort of organically just a thing that was known was that you could play football and go up for the the fall mu- the fall play but you would not play football <laughs> if you were in the fall play you were welcome to be in a uniform and stand on the sidelines but you weren't going to play um so I wanted to play, so I didn't go out for the play. <laughs> um, but it, it, even more than that, it, just, it never occurred to me. And it, it's just sort of striking, you know, when I think about it, how immersed I was in various arts and how much I really, really loved them. And it never occurred to me to do any of them, you know. I think I, there was a week, you know, near the se- end of my senior in high school where I thought I might want to learn to play guitar, and then I didn't. Uh, but it never occurred to me to act. It never occurred to me to sing. It never occurred to me to write. It, it, none of these things ever really occurred to me. It's, it's, it's weird. Again, that disconnect. It's weird that I was completely surrounded in various forms of arts and media and had never thought of participating in them.
5: Mm.
1: Are there, for any of you, people who are still part of your artistic lives that you knew in high school? No,
2: not for me. No, not for me. Not either. in my
3: personal circles, but there are girls that I went to high school with that are working a lot in the city. Like they're, they're. It's a matter of time before we cross paths again. I think.
4: I had no
1: artistic life in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I actually do. Uh, that that uh, Peter Crosby, who uh, you all know because he's a member of our company, actually was my drama director in high school. That. He was the one who I had my sophomore and senior year, who at the time was doing marketing work for a software company, and that was how he did his art when he was in his mid-twenties. And um, then he decided he wanted to be an actor, so went off to grad school, and when he came to New York, uh, we connected back up, and you know we've been working together ever since. I did say uh, during the intro that when I think about myself when I was at the end of of college that they were things that I already knew, things that I did not yet know and things that I thought for sure I knew but later would discover were not quite the case. So just for the end of high school, uh, what were the things that you feel like you already knew that you still hold on to?
0: It's very important to know your lines. All of your lines as they are written. It's very
3: (laughs) important to understand your body and space. That was a big thing in my
0: high school. Like they, and, but that was a big thing I bought in from dancing. So I, and that there are many elements to putting on a show. Like There's not just the actors and the director. That There are a lot of other roles that need to be done, whether you understand them or not. I, I don't think I understood them all, but I knew that there were other things that had to happen for our show to come together
2: honestly dealing with nerves and like getting past the being nervous for auditioning and being on stage and I mean in addition to memorizing and and that kind of thing just kind of dealing with that as a person. I also think I had a
0: basic understanding of timing and humor by the time I got out of high school that was something that was sort of innate but I understood that that was why people laughed is because you said it in a certain way. You know, I, I don't think I could have explained it, but I, I think I had some basic knowledge of that.
1: I think, and I, I referenced before, that a sense of resourcefulness, which I think I has served me very well over time, but I think that I, I really learned from my experiences in high school of... Again, we had a budget that I don't think was much bigger than most theater departments, and yet we're doing shows four and five times the size of any other theater club or theater department in the area. You know, and I, I, at the time, I just thought that's what you did, but it served me quite well. And I also think, especially because it was such a big community, the idea of the importance of creating a healthy community for a collaborative environment really stuck with me. And candidly, it was because there was a degree to which it was dysfunctional. Um, and I will say not much more than that. But, you know, that the, the times when it was functional was just much more productive, it seemed to me, than the times where it was not.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, and so I certainly knew walking away the kind of leader in a rehearsal room that I wanted to be, and perhaps even more important, the kind that I did not want to be.
3: I actually just remember this. I I think I learned in high school was the first place that I really, really got that it it, it is a business. (laughs) Because we had, I forgot all about this, we had this ad campaign to put on the show. And it was every cast member's responsibility to get a certain number of ads. But it was Mm -hmm. insane. Like, I've been to so many other high schools where their ad campaign was a couple of ads in the back of the program. Our ad campaign book was 150 to 200 pages thick. Wow, I mean, we got thousands of dollars, and the, and they put that on us to, and, and it was like, like I, in hindsight, I'd love to know what that budget for that play was, because I couldn't, because we also had a big auction that we held, that a silent auction that I know I worked at it, I know raise, what kind of money it raised, so it's that's interesting. Anyway, my point is that I, I, we knew pretty much right after we got cast that, yep, this is fun, learn your lines, do this, get your costume on, and sell twenty five ads.
1: Do you want to play this? I had no artistic life in high school. (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough. What were the things that you had yet to learn at that point? Jesus. That you had not even given thought to? I think because I
4: hadn't done any arts in high school, despite the fact that I was obviously very interested in them. And and I think this is important for... you know It would have been important for me to know as a young person. I think it's important for, for people who may or may not consider, you know, being involved in the arts, is that I was a completely reactive person, you know, as a youngster. I knew what was important in the social culture I was in and responded to that by attempting to to succeed at it. it I had never really given any thought to what actually made me happy and what I was interested in. And I think that's, I suspect that's possibly one of the reasons why people why I found acting later in life. And I think that may be one of the reasons why people... Some people seem to know very early on what they want to do. You know, I'm, I'm sort of envious listening to you guys and just sort of seeming to know at 14, 15, 16, 17 that this was something that you wanted to make a part of your life. And that's certainly not something I had. And I think that's because so many people are reactive rather than actually having sort of whether you want to call it a vision or not necessarily a plan, but sort of this idea of questioning for themselves of what they're actually really happy doing and what is genuinely their interest. Because if I thought about it, as much as I, you know, loved playing football, I knew very early on I was not going to make football my life. And if I had sat back and realized, wow, I, I really, really love films. I really, really love books. I spent a lot of time in the library. I really, really love all of these arts. Perhaps I should explore whether I can spend my life doing something in that, rather than reacting simply to the, the
1: given circumstances of my life at that particular moment. Although it, it's interesting, because I will say when I was in high school, and even for the most part when I was in college, I never imagined that I would go into theater, pursue theater as a career. Yeah, yeah actually
2: I actually did. Uh, um I did.
1: You know, I I mean, I actually had a very clear plan. I was going to go to law school and I was going to end up running for public office. That was my plan up until I was in my early 20s, at least. So, yeah, it's... uh, I, I think, again, so much of the reason I did theater was that that's where my social sphere became. And it's something that I think it was true, it is true, that it's important to me to do whatever it is that I'm doing well. You know, that because that's what I spent so much time... Doing it, I became very invested in it. Um, but it—it it was weird that I didn't spend the time doing it because I was invested in it. it actually, I became invested in it because that's what I spent my time doing. Hmm. It, I will say for myself about what I had to learn was anything about acting.
3: Yeah, <laughs> it just, yeah, yeah. There's, there's I, I mean, I, I, I
0: there was not one. There was nothing that is
1: a part of my process yeah. now <laughs> that yeah. I had.
0: And and also the the process of how one ends up in a role. Like, I had no real conception of uh, casting and why why casting went the way it went. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I had a wrong perception, perhaps, but, like, I just, you know, looking at lists of mm-hmm. names it was kind of the, the limit of what I knew about that, but definitely, like, anything about acting.
1: And it's something that sort of interesting that came up in an interview that I did recently, but I, I, I think about it, that when I was in high school... I self-identified as an actor, even though I again didn't have a speaking role until my last my, my last play of my senior year. That I still thought of myself as an actor, and all of this other stuff I was doing was kind of what you needed to do to be an actor.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it, it's um, I, I, I thought I find that interesting. What were the things, uh, and I think perhaps this is the most interesting that you thought you knew by the end of high school that you later turned out to not necessarily believe was true.
0: If you're playing an old person, you put lines on your face (laughs) and you walk with a hunch. (laughs) 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 Ditto. I also thought, like, that it was, that it was so important <laughs> that people understand you. Like, that was, like, after learning your lines, diction and volume, make sure everybody in the theater can understand you. I thought that was, like, the, you know, the one-two punch of what, what it means to be a good actor.
1: Yeah.
0: No, I no? also
1: I also remember being told by an older actor... Who, looking in retrospect, was actually an insurance salesman who was in a show one summer. That <laughs> it's incredibly important on stage when you point at someone to use two fingers because then <laughs> people can see it better from the audience. <laughs> <Stop
2: it. laughs> I'm going to use
1: that.
0: Oh, never ever turn your back to the audience. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cheat out.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there, there were also some you know, more conceptual things uh, that I think one is I absolutely believe that the movie or soundtrack or, or cast album of something was like the Bible to the show.
2: Hmm. That is
1: the way it was supposed to be. And now that I have been in the recording session for Broadway shows, I know there are things where we are running out of time and this is what is going to, to be on faster. the recorder. <laughs>
5: uh,
1: no, no. And also, uh, you know, I, I, I worked on the, the film of Master Harold and the Boys, of, of the, the, the play, and I certainly remember in high school and even in college doing plays that there were films of and looking at the film to be sure that we've got the details right. And I, in, in Master Harold and the Boys, one of the critical set pieces is a jukebox. And we weren't able to find one that we were happy with. Because we were in South Africa and we found what we could find. And literally the day we were going to begin shooting, we found one that was what we had wanted. And so we spent the whole first day of shooting avoiding shooting the jukebox so that we could bring it in the next day and and, and put it in. But the result would have been that if we hadn't found it that day, well, we would have started shooting and it would have been this era incorrect jukebox in the background just because that was... The way it was going to be. And I could imagine people doing the play and looking, oh, that's what the jukebox is supposed to look like. No, that was the jukebox we were able to find because it takes place in 1950 and we are in 2009 and in uh, South Africa.
3: Africa. I thought stage directions were what you're supposed to do. (laughs) Oh, absolutely,
1: actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, And and I think related to that, that I was, I just really believed that I, took it very seriously that your job was to look at the play to figure out what you were supposed to do. That the answer was the play. I'm supposed to look at the play, look at the stage directions and figure out how to do it right. Um, and I certainly think that's the idea that there's a right way to do it is something that I've I've given up. In fact, vehemently given up. I think it's actually the, uh, the most important thing to being a theater artist is the idea that there is not a right way to do it. And also, I I will say that because of the background that I had there, I thought that all theater artists should be generalists, that you should be able to do everything. Hmm. And, well, I absolutely value and appreciate having done everything. And I think that if you are going to be a theater artist, you should. You should know how to hang a light. You should know how to you know, construct a safe set. You should have an idea of how to take blocking notes in a stage management book. You should do that because it makes you a better collaborator. But ultimately, if you're going to pursue it as a career, you need to accept that there are going to be one or two things that you are going to be expert at, and you need to let other people be expert at the things that they are expert at. Yeah. So college <laughs> what, what what was your college theater life like
3: well i I mean you me, Jen and I went to college together. i you uh, when I came in again i'd only done musical theater i'd never i don 't think i 'd ever done a straight play before I got to college, so the first semester, there was two theater companies at uh, Fordham there was the Mimes and Mummers, which is like the in the main theater, the bigger theater and the uh, Fordham Experimental Theater, which was all completely run by students. The Mimes and Mummers bought in an outside director for all their productions. And um, I remember the first two plays were, str- I think, it was Much Ado About Nothing and was the importance of being earnest. So I didn't, I didn't even audition for the f- anything. And F.E.T. was doing a bunch of stuff, and I just didn't even audition because I was waiting for the musical because I was convinced that's all I could do. And uh, so I, didn't, I just kind of sat back and watched theater and started to get to know
2: the faces that I would know for a long time. I didn't audition for the first show because I couldn't find the the building in <laughs> And I thought, I, I thought you had to be there like, cause, oh yeah, this goes back to high school because we had the open auditions. So you had to be there at a specific time to be paired up and to practice and then, you know, sit down respectively in the theater and, and watch everyone, you know, audition. So I didn't know that you could get there later than the start. So I was, and literally if you, look back my dorm was like right next to the theater <laughs> but I was like looping around the campus trying to find it and then I was t- you know it would have been 10 minutes late so I went back to my dorm because I didn't want to walk in mm-hmm. but then I remember going to see that show and I actually went by myself to see that show and just remember being like I want to be a what part of it? this Tempest um, oh, right. <laughs> and feel like I want to be a part of this and then I auditioned for the first uh, Fordham Experimental Theater show and got into that and then just became mostly immersed in that and then did, did mostly tech for months and Yet
1: again, I had slightly the opposite experience, which was that I didn't go to audition for the first show. I, I thought, I cannot be in college theater. I am not good enough. I don't know what I'm doing. I will embarrass myself. I did not want to embarrass myself. I did go to the first day of auditions to see if I could sign up to work on a tech crew I spoke to someone at the table. They said, "Oh, well, we'll go in and get the producer, and they'll come out to see you." And literally, I was waiting. I waited five minutes, and then I left. And I thought, "I can't do college theater. What am I thinking? I'm here. I'm doing pre-law because I'm going to law school. I have no business doing college theater." And then I went to see that production. I thought, "Oh, I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if this is what college theater is, I got I'm on this board." In the bag. <laughs> I'm not sure what I thought it was going to be, but it was not... I mean, it was perfectly good shows, but I I think I was imagining... Broadway Yeah,
2: (laughs) Not so much.
4: I spent my first three years of college continuing my theme from high school, acceding to avoiding the things I was actually interested in. (laughs) Um, I had a major that I wasn't interested in, and then dropped the major, and was taking electives, and... (laughs) I was on the judo team for a while, then I I left that, and so I basically spent three years, uh, frankly, taking electives and learning things and and getting drunk, and uh, it was a good time. (laughs) And uh, I remember after three years, it was was, uh, one summer. It was a particularly unproductive summer, and I turned to my buddies and said, I I think I'm going to drop out. I I don't know what I'm going to do, but I don't seem to be developing any skills. I don't seem (laughs) interested in anything. I don't I don't know what kind of job I'm gonna get when I get out of here. I don't. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And one of my buddies glibly said, "You should. You should go be an actor," and because I was you know, <laughs> considered fairly demonstrative, I guess. So most dramatic. Yes. Yeah. Um, most dramatic. Unofficially, I think that was my unofficial title. So I, I went to the theater department, found where it was, and I. I it's weird, I say I say this that I sort of stumbled into it and didn't really know and that's how I presented myself to to the, the first theater uh, teacher I, I had, his name is Patrick Gowran at Iowa State University, who is still there. I, I went to him like, listen, I've no idea what I'm doing, I've never done this before. Buddy of mine said I should take the class, so I'm just gonna take the class and see what happens. And there was part of me that meant that, but there was also, you know, part of me that Honestly, when my buddy said, you should go be an actor, that I sort of was like, well, yeah, that, that is what I should, yeah, that, that, that's the thing. I think I, I sort of, you know, I, I was self-deprecating about it and sort of blew it off because it was a huge risk. I'd never done it before. I knew nothing about it. And it seemed a silly thing at the age of 20 or 21 to decide in the middle of college you were going to be an actor. But I was in his acting class for a couple of weeks and he said, look, there's an audition for this show. You should go audition for it. And... I already knew I was going to audition, but I was sort of like, "Really? Are you sure? You think I?" You know, I, it, I was. I had this weird dichotomy of of realizing very early on that I was doing exactly the thing I wanted to do, yet because I had so many self doubts, had a had a presentation of just not knowing what I was doing and not sure if I was interested. I went to the audition, and it was for Prelude to do a Kiss, and they cast me in the lead. And this, I, I don't mean this in an arrogant way. I expected that to happen, <laughs> not because I felt like I was really good, but somehow it felt. Natural. It felt like that was the thing that I needed to be doing.
0: Hmm. I, I auditioned and didn't get cast in anything for almost the, the whole of the first semester. Uh, I think it was like three, three or four auditions. And then I got cast in a one act in the experimental theater, which was just the student directed shows. And from that, I got in with the group. Mm -hmm. Like, because there was this big crossover between the two groups and the leaders of one group or the leaders of the other group and, you know, the people who were involved all the time. And it was kind of like, they saw me for the first time because I was in this little show and then they kind of like brought me in to the whole of the, you know, of the world. Like, not just the acting, like, obviously they weren't casting me, but except in the experimental theater, but that once I got in that way, they wanted me to be on the they wanted me to be the rep on the board of the yeah. experimental theater and, and from there I like you were in high school kit, I became part of the decision making team mm-hmm. in a way that was just it just kind of exploded like how much time I spent. But I I also didn't think I was gonna be an actor for a living. I wanted to be, but I was pursuing a degree in biology because I thought that was practical. So it was really, I split my time in college between studying for science and every other hour was spent in the theater.
1: Yeah. And again, it was interesting, especially interesting sort of looking back on it, but I had been doing theater pretty seriously for three or four, five years around that time, which is not that much time in the real world, but when you're 19, you know, that's that's a a quarter of your life. And it was actually the end of my freshman year that I was cast in my first big role really ever in anything, which was Hale and The Crucible. But that was really interesting for me, that 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 it really did feel like I had always thought of myself as an actor, even though I wasn't doing a lot of acting, and all of a sudden I got this role. And then essentially I got cast in the lead of every one of the main stage shows for the rest of the time that I was in school. Um, And I kind of didn't know what to do about that, except to do it. I mean, I was having a a great time. But I really actually had begun to think of myself, even though I consciously categorized myself as an actor, you know, as actually almost like a theater administrator, because that's what I did when I was in high school. And so... It was funny because, again, I came and chickened out of auditioning for the first show because I couldn't do it. But then by the time I was in the second semester of my sophomore year, I was the president of the main stage theater company and on the board of the other theater company. And there was a group of us, and Jen, you were another person who was a crossover between the two. Because it was interesting that... The two organizations, the leadership had a lot of crossover, but the organizations were kind of enemies. You know, that they that it was like either you did the main stage big shows or you did the little experimental shows, but you didn't do both. But we really did make an effort to sort of create, sort of, because, again, we were all non-theater majors. The theater major at Fordham was at a different campus. And so we really sat down and had a meeting and made a decision to make this concerted effort to sort of build a training program for ourselves. So what we would do was the students, the student board hired the directors for the main stage shows. And a big part of what became the selection process was what can this person teach us that we haven't learned? What is this approach that they have, even if they weren't necessarily the best director for this show, and you know, that was part of it too, you know, but what is part of their approach that we have never encountered that they can teach us? Mm-hmm. And then massively expanded, and I think a, a lot of this for me came from sort of the resourcefulness thing that I'd learned in in high school was that when I came freshman year, the experimental theater did two shows a semester
0: they were so underutilized their stuff yeah, yeah. and
1: by by my junior year, when we'd been on the board for a year, they were doing literally i think we did twenty seven shows the first semester of my junior year, you know, but it was, but the idea being that it was, we would bring in professionals and it was one of the great things about working at, you know, in New York city. And, you know, again, now being a professional director in New York city, I know they actually paid pretty well, you know, it was like $2,500 for, you know, three weeks of rehearsal. That's not bad.
3: And that was how many years ago. And that was how
1: many years ago. So the result was literally, we had like Tony winning directors, and artistic directors of major theaters in the city coming up to... And we're sitting there in judgment of them. <laughs> <laughs> to, I remember Jim Nicola, who's he the who's the artistic director of New York Theatre Workshop, who I would love to be interviewed by at this moment in my life. I didn't hire him on three different occasions <laughs> <laughs> when I was in college.
5: <laughs> but
1: oh. But the result was, though, is that we would have... People come in to teach us things we didn't know, and then have a real practicum in the other theater uh, group, where you then could go and direct and act and write uh, projects that you that you wanted to do. And I just feel like, you know, we did not. I did not have any undergraduate theater training. I never took an acting class. But I actually have a hard time imagining how I could have gotten a better theater education than that ended up being. But it was really on the student's part, a real concerted effort to say, we don't have a theater program, so we're gonna build one for ourselves out of these two theater clubs.
0: Mm.
1: Were there any professional relationships that you started in college that have carried on?
0: Well, you Ours.
2: Ours. <laughs> <laughs> with Carrie and with Kit, yeah. I, my relationship with Kit started in college.
1: When you were in college, but I was Yeah. in you, you, you were in. out of
2: college. And actually, um, my freshman roommate, Mary Beth, We did theater together and, you know, we're roommates together all through college. And now she is a casting director and has actually helped me be seen for a number of things that or a couple of things that I've been cast in and so we have kind of an ongoing relationship.
3: Kevin, my friend Kevin Smith Kirk was a musical theater actor in the city. And we've maintained we sing together a lot still.
1: Yeah. Certainly Jen and and Carrie. And it it actually has not continued so much to this day, but Kevin Moriarty was one of the directors who we worked with and actually was really he directed me in Macbeth and he actually was somebody who really encouraged me towards being a director but then he had me assistant uh, direct for him on a few things after I got out of college and was really a great advisor to me he's now the artistic director down at the Dallas theater center so I don't really see much of him anymore because he lives in Dallas you know but certainly that was a, a relationship that carried on. Ribolo. Oh that's right Mayor yeah, Ribolo yeah. was actually a, a college professor of mine who took a real interest in me and was a a wonderful 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 teacher but he also is a professional playwright and leads a lot of playwriting groups and he actually really went to bat for me with this uh, one playwriting group that were really you know pretty well respected and well established playwrights and he said that he would lead their playwriting group if I could be a part of it and you know I've always appreciated that but you know I certainly continue to to see him and he continues to you know be a you know terrific advisor to me.
4: When I was at at school, the, uh, the the head of the theater department who directed me in several shows and actually played Dysart when I did Equus was Greg Henry, who is now the head of the ACTF at the Kennedy Center. And because he's you know pretty busy, we don't we don't talk much. But that's uh, a relationship I still have. And then just various friends who who none of them are in New York, oddly enough, but they're in their regional theaters and things like that who I I maintain some level of contact with, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have professional relationships with,
1: with any of them. What were the things that at the end of this period you already knew, the trifecta of questions? What did you already know?
0: I knew that I loved Shakespeare. I, I, that was the time that I had my first exposure to it. I was in a couple shows and it just like, it just attached to me and I just love, I, I knew at that time that that was one of the kinds, and, and I had not had a lot of exposure to different kinds of plays and musicals before college and through college that was where I got I got to know that there were all different kinds of plays and musicals and the, the genres that that was the beginning of like the history, theater history education I felt like that was the beginning of that.
3: I started to realize that I had a I had a very at least interesting emotional life that I had no idea existed before that I didn't and I just didn't tap into it on any level before leaving home and living on my own, but yeah, So and I started to realize that, that once I kind of got a handle on that could be a very, w- would be a very useful tool down the line.
2: It's actually the first time in college that I came across new plays, the idea of new plays, because I, you know, we were always working with, you know, famous plays in high school, and I was very involved in the experimental theater where we had, you know, people writing plays that were submitted to be done and it was kind of the first time that I ever worked on a new play or read a new play or did anything with new plays.
4: I think the only thing I really knew in college was that I, I, I wanted to be an actor and that I wanted to be very, very, very good at it.
1: I think I wanted throwing away everything else that I thought I knew or that I thought I was expert at. I think for myself, I I knew, I think, three things that were important, which was one, I had started writing a lot in college and looking back on it, what I wrote in college tended to be much more stylistic than things that I've ended up writing, but there still were some basic structural elements that were already in place. You know, about sort of the way that I continue to like to set up and foil expectation was actually already a part of my writing at that time. I think I, I actually had a had a pretty clear picture of the kind of work I was interested in doing. I think at the time I didn't really know how to do it, but I, I think I was already finding that I was attracted to the sort of work that I continue to be attracted to. And I also had a really valuable and interesting experience. The last show that I did in college was Angels in America, and I played Roy Cohn who incidentally used to be my next-door neighbor when I was growing up. Uh, And I never met him, but I saw him frequently when I was growing up. And as a result, I sort of was thinking about this guy who I'd seen and what I imagined he was thinking about. And in a weird way, it opened up a different way of looking at the character, about thinking of a character than I ever had before. And I remember there were a few moments that I had in that show, just a few, that felt different from anything I'd ever done before, that felt more connected in a way that even at the time I couldn't describe, but I think even leaving college, I knew there was a lot more to learn Mm -hmm. than I knew. Yeah. Um, Which I think was the first time that I sort of realized that. I mean, I think up until that point, I sort of figured, well, I know what you need to know. And I, I had a feeling there was some great wealth of something out there that I had not tapped into yet. And
2: It was the first time I even thought that there was a process. Hmm. That, I mean, I didn't know totally what that was or what my process was, but I knew that there was a way to go about acting.
1: What had you yet to learn?
2: That's actually
0: something that I had yet to learn. I, I, I didn't have a very good idea, that there was more to being a good artist than having a great deal of native talent. I didn't know that there was a technique or tools. I I just thought you had it in you, and the more you did it, the better you got at it. But if you didn't have it in you from the start, then you were out of luck. But I, I didn't know that yet.
3: Along Same thing with me. Along those lines, I just kind of thought it was something you brought to the table, and that it was just... Magic, I don't know what the right words are, but I had yet to learn that. I was learning that I had this great emotional life I had yet to learn that that really wasn't all there was to it <laughs> And that you had to the concept of coming on stage in order to do something was completely hmm. mm-hmm, Something I'd never thought of. Yeah.
4: I had yet to discover my own voice It's interesting when I did my first play in college I think I was very much myself in terms of there was sort of a very pure Experience. there wasn't any, you know, technique involved or anything. It was just a very pure thing. But I very quickly immersed myself in in everything I could learn and find out about acting and theater and films and everything. And as a result of that, I I, I felt pretty heavily into the anxiety of influence. And you know, there were there were actors I was interested in, in in the work they did and and where they had trained, even though I didn't even understand how to train. And so I think the. I, I hadn't learned my own process of working. I think I, I, I had models for people who I admired and I think that led I think that led directly to me coming to New York and wanting to be in the actors studio because I think I as I studied I immediately was drawn to you know people like Brando and, and, and Mickey Rourke and Sean Penn and Robert de Niro and Al Pacino and all these people and I very quickly realized everyone who I seemed to be drawn to or did the type of work that it Twenty one, twenty two. I wanted to be doing, I thought was cool, all were at this place in New York studying there and I figured, it was weird, I, I had no intention of going to grad school, I, had no, I knew at some point though I needed to go to New York and be there.
2: It's actually interesting because I knew that there was a process, because actually I had Kit direct me in Romeo and Juliet my senior year and I remember you worked heavily with, with us for the first time that I think any of us had worked like this, and you know, talking about objectives and really a lot of exploratory work. And I remember being really frustrated because the next show I was cast in, Ten Little Indians, like the director literally blocked it first. So there was none of that exploration. And I remember calling Kit actually and just saying how frustrated I was about working on this play because I had no idea what to do. Like I hadn't figured out how to, how to do something by myself yet. Do you know what I mean?
1: What did I have to I don't remember that. What did I have to say about that?
2: About that? Just that that's how a lot of people work and you have to do the work <laughs> on your own. <laughs> and I would later figure out, you know, more about how to do that. But it was kind of the first, I felt kind of really, like I I'd gotten all these tools and like learned all this stuff and then I didn't know how to apply them yet to something without someone specifically walking me through it.
1: What were the things then that you thought that you knew at the end of college, but discovered later that you didn't?
2: I thought I knew how hard it was going to be and, and realized that I didn't actually. I was act- I was fortunate enough to intern at Warner Brothers Casting my junior year of college. And it was really interesting because I was the one, as the intern, opening people's headshots. So I was opening the submissions that people were sending to be on Third Watch or whatever show we were working on at the time. So I knew it was gonna be hard to be seen by casting directors. And I knew that, you know, we brought in the same people and that, you know, obviously a lot of the times they did not get the role. So I knew it was gonna be hard to get roles. I didn't I don't think I realized how hard it was gonna to be to be seen, to get into the room in front of the people.
4: To that same point, Jenny, I, I had no concept of how hard it was going to be to get roles because you know, when you're you're in a an undergraduate setting, you know, we had a massive, beautiful, beautiful theater to work with, and we had a fairly large theater department. But you know, it's still comparatively to a city, you know, like New York yeah. City, like you know, or even you know, a city where there's a thriving theater community like Dallas. Um, it, it's a very, it's very easy to become a very big fish in a very, very small pond. And I, had, <laughs> I just sort of had gotten used to the fact that I, you know, uh, I was gonna usually get the part that I wanted to get. Mm. And obviously, that's not the way the professional world would work. Even if I thought I was appropriate for the part, I, I wouldn't get it. And that's sometimes. And that's that was that was something I I, I did not know in undergrad. Was just the difficulty and how many varying factors go into casting, other than me showing up and being really good.
3: The one thing I f- thought I knew, which clearly I very quickly let go of, because you, you you for like looking back, you go straight from high school to college. To to your life or whatever you do after was the I thought I would work in theaters that size forever
4: mm.
3: I thought I would work in a 500 seat house till I am underground <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually been one of the number one things when I guess teach at a high school in my hometown sometimes and probably one of the first things I tell them is in, sl- soak this up mm-hmm. because you I don't, don't know. know the next time you're going to have this stage one thousand seats these kids have and this beautiful theater. And it's like the this little thing you completely take for granted Mm -hmm. until you're out in the real world.
1: I do find that when I like guest direct at colleges and things like that and the kids like, Oh man, this theater's not (laughs) like man, what I would not give to have ready access to a facility like this whenever I wanted it. I mean Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: I had and, and, and we had guest directors comment on the fact that we were rehearsing in the space where we were performing that was that's something that's yeah I, we, I had no idea was not you don't do. that you don't rehearse in the theater that you're going to be doing the show in um, I had no idea how far from that you would get like you wouldn't rehearse in even a studio space sometimes you rehearse in somebody's living room or a, you know mm-hmm. whatever the production can mm-hmm. provide for you but
1: yeah. and, and that's everywhere I mean literally I just worked on a production at the New York Philharmonic, and we were doing a rehearsal with Mandy Patinkin and Bernadette Peters in a
2: green room room
1: with couches and carpets and art on the wall. I mean, it was, I mean, yeah, It's no, no matter how big a production gets, you're still rehearsing in little... Corners of things, except when you're in college, when you have the run of a theater. So enjoy it. Yeah. I, I, I had the same experience.
4: I think the other, the other thing that I didn't know then was how to work with people. And we sort of talked about you know how to be somebody worth working with. And I think one of the reasons I'm so adamant about that is because I spent so much of you know my acting experience. I don't know if you want to call it a career, but my acting experience not being a person worth working with. And I think a lot of that has to do with the anxiety of influence of sort of the models that I picked, where, you know, I didn't know anything about uh, the training the, the the models I had picked had. I didn't know anything about how they really worked. I knew the surface stuff, and I knew I wanted to do the type of work they did, and so I thought that part and parcel of that was being that type of actor. So, and a lot of the actors that that I had picked as models, fairly or unfairly, were fairly difficult from, at least in terms of the way they were presented in books I would read or articles I would read. And so I just assumed that was part and parcel. So, and I'm not kidding, probably until my, my, I think until I took a, was forced to take a break from acting for about two years, I think that's the way I functioned, was that me being difficult and me being temperamental and forcing People or attempting to force people to have to deal with my personal variability was something that went along with being talented, was something that went along with, mm-hmm. with being somebody who was good at what they did. And it took me a long time to realize that, uh, one, that's not the case, and two, you know, even, if, even if you are talented, there are a thousand other talented people out there as well who will not be such a big pain <laughs> and are worth working with.
1: And one of the things I think that that people lose track of is there are reasons that really big stars are sometimes difficult. That, you know, there really is a degree to which there is a brand that they have created. There is a fan base that they have that expect something out of projects that have them in it. So there really is a degree to which I have seen people who are big stars be, you know, quote-unquote difficult about things. But it's in part because they're saying people are coming to see a certain kind of thing when they're coming to see me, and I feel an obligation to give it to them. You're trying to do something else, but you asked me to be in this, which means you are agreeing to do the sort of thing that I do and people expect when they come to see me. I've also seen big stars be difficult just to be difficult, but there are times where there's actually a reason for it. Mm -hmm. For myself, the things that I thought I knew that I would later pass over are sort of twofold. Um, which was one, I had had the idea in high school that my job was to look at the play and figure out what the play wanted me to do. I had evolved to a degree that by the end of college I thought it was deeper than that, that my job was to look at the play and figure out what the playwright wanted me to do. You know, that there were things that the playwright wrote that were going on underneath the play, but my job is to figure out what is the playwright's intention and do that right.
5: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Again, I have since given up the concept that there is such a thing as quote-unquote right. But I took that to be actually a great evolution (laughs) at the time, and I suppose it was. And the other thing was, is I really thought, and I think there's an awful lot of people who share this, that it's about passion. It's about passion for your art. And I remember Peter Crosby, who, again, was my drama teacher in high school and now is a, a, a close collaborator of all of us, had gone to grad school while I was in college. And what he said after, he says it's so interesting because I just find that acting holds a totally different place in my life and in my body. That it used to be this thing I needed to do and now it's a job. But I don't mean that in a bad way. And I remember thinking at the time, there is no good way to mean that. I don't <laughs> ever want to feel that. I want to feel like my art is an essential part of who I am. and that And... What I discovered is that that really isn't the case if you're going to have a healthy long-term relationship with your art, is it needs to be something you do. It needs to be something that is incredibly important to you, but it needs to be something you do and not be who you are, because I think that's a lot of what leads people to be difficult to work yeah, with.
3: because I can't separate. If their product is attacked, then they are personally attacked.
1: Yes, exactly. And especially when you're talking about a business that has as much rejection built into it. And that sounds terrible, like it's all about rejection, but it isn't. It's just there are so many more people who want the jobs than there are jobs. No matter how good you are, you are not going to get all of the jobs you want. And if you take it as a personal rejection of who you are, you won't survive. But also, you won't get the distance enough... From your work to be able to do it well you know if you don't see it as something that again is something you do that is something you contribute to that is something you have tools to work on rather than something that emanates from your soul and you must nurture your soul Mm -hmm. and that's the only thing you can hope to do you're asking for trouble over the long term and I think you also kind of don't have a realistic picture of what art is and what your role is in it Mm -hmm. I don't trust people who say their art is their passion, or I am my art, or things like that. I don't think there's anyone who knows me and has worked with me who would say I am not passionate about what I do. But I'm passionate about what I do, because I'm passionate about what I do. It's a given. Yes. I
4: kind of assume it's a given. Exactly. (laughs) And once you start telling me what should be a given, I...
0: Start to mistrust it.
4: Yeah,
1: because I wonder if it actually is a given for you. (laughs) 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 Exactly. It is important to be passionate, but that's not, that's where it begins, not where it ends.
3: Uh, there's a girl at, there was a woman at, who worked for my grad school who, I remember the very first day, she, she quoted her dad and said that he used to say, um, you shouldn't ever tell people who, what you're about. You should shake, your, shake their hand and they'll know. And I, I always just like that. It's like, whenever people tell me who they are or what they are, I immediately don't believe them.
1: so life after college which for some of us included graduate school for others of us did not what was that and Kerry actually I know that you need to leave Um, so why don't you kick us off in case you have to go during the conversation
3: yeah real quick right after uh, after undergrad I actually toured as a backup singer for a while which was a complete unexpected detour in my life but there was a period where I really thought that was, I mean, because it was at a certain level of success or potential success that I thought my life might just be going in a different direction. But then it didn't, and I and I had a choice to make, and I remember, that's honestly actually the reason I chose to go to grad school. So I really, I knew I wanted to be better at what I did, but I really didn't know what else to do. And I just kind of jumped on board and went to grad school and a whole circle. But it, you know, it's one of the best things I decided to do, because I really learns very specifically that there is a set of tools to this it is something it it, it, it made my product separate from me it, that and that was what i learned through grad school is that i'm me and i do what i do and, and when i walk in the room i do what i do and when i walk out i'm me and i go about my life and actually what that brought back to me slowly over the last couple of years what that's brought back to me is the joy that i had in high school which I think for a long time I lost because I was I was pulling everything apart and trying to figure it out and and now I just play again because I trust that all the tools are there.
4: I I decided to go to grad school after undergrad. Uh, I was going to go to New York and then wound up going to Chicago for for a couple of years working professionally as an actor. And the reason I decided to go to, to grad school was I had, I think I had reached the limit of whatever my instincts were and that I think you 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 you. you Hit a point where you've done enough theater, you've done enough work, where it's the thing that, that I admire so much about what Stanislavski put down is that it's 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 a craft and an art and not this inspirational lightning bolt that occasionally hits you. And I think I had realized that that there were nights, you know, or projects I was working on in which, you know, I felt terrific. I'd always assumed I was very talented, and there was nights that I felt very talented, and there's nights where. I knew I had not That was kind of a new experience for me, walking off stage or walking off a film set and not feeling as if I had done a good job, not feeling talented. And I didn't know how to... I didn't know how to correct that. And that was my first realization that, you know, that whatever innate talent or charisma or whatever that thing was that I thought I had, A, probably wasn't what I thought I had, and B, wasn't going to get me where I where I felt I needed to go, to where I could I could give performances that were exciting to me and were
1: interesting to me and fulfilling to me. So I decided to go to grad school to see if I could learn a process.
5: Uh,
1: I had decided to go to grad school because I did go to grad school. That's where I met Tim because I had decided to take a year off after undergrad and not do any theater. I mean, people had said to me, if you can do anything else, you should. Um, And so I decided I was going to take a year and I ended up working in like television post-production and just do no theater. And I realized pretty quickly that i wanted to do theater but I stuck to the year but I decided because of what I'd realized towards the end of college that I had touched on a couple of times in a performance some different way of working that uh, that what I needed to do was just, I had no training I needed to go get some so I decided I wanted to do theater and at the time I thought again because I have no back uh, you know I have no training the place where I had the best chance of getting in was as a playwright Uh, Because I actually did have some things I could send to people and say, this is my work, rather than saying, I would like to be a director, please let me, you know. So I had done all my applications and sent them in as a playwright, but it was actually going to see, Carrie said that she toured as a backup singer to an artist, who actually was someone who I had known came from my hometown. And I introduced you guys, I think. And that was my one outlet that I was working this job, which was with really good people, but it was just total scut work for people at the beginning of their career. And I kept getting stuck until midnight at this job. But once every six weeks or so, this person would do a show. Uh, And so that became the thing I looked forward to it. So like weeks in advance, I would say, I need to get out at six o'clock on this day. And there was one day where I said, I need to get out at six o'clock, literally on my way out the door, my bag over my shoulder. And they said, we need you to stay. And so I got out, sprinted down, and arrived at her show as she was leaving the stage. It was the end of the show. And I was devastated. I mean, I look so forward to these things. And then she came out and she did a, a song as an encore. And it was something about, it's a really beautiful song, about why she wants to make music. And she wants to make music to, you know, make a difference in people's lives. And I mean, that sounds, it's a wonderful, lovely song. And I am not doing it service Uh, but knowing her that she was somebody who I had known before she was anything and is now building this career and I left just thinking I what I want to do is I want to be a director that's what I want to do I'm not applying to directing because I don't think anyone will let me so I had one application left and it was to the actor's studio which was actually the place based on the philosophy I most wanted to go and I literally in the middle of the night got up at three in the morning opened up the package wrote a new essay and applied as a director and that was, you know, that was the history of that. You know, why I ended up going to school to be a director was because of that.
3: Well, it's it's interesting that you... because uh, So Kit got into... You got into the Ash Studio. And I, I think, was doing the touring and just working and doing whatever. <clears throat> and then we started talking more and more about it. So I was like, let me apply. <laughs> so I... Applied as an actor, I think really because at that time I was very, just grabbing at straws, I didn't know what I wanted, I didn't, I, I felt not very confident. So I was like, let me do this, I'll apply, and part of it was I had to get, one of the first steps is I had to get a letter of recommendation. And I asked, I had taken one acting class at Fordham and I asked that teacher to write it because I really didn't know who else to ask. And uh, she wrote it, and then the Lilith Fair and all the stuff really started to pick up, so we were doing more shows and everything. I just didn't complete the process. I just, I, I really thought that my life might be going in a totally different direction. I didn't know what, but, and I, I remember getting a call, like, at, at my house, at my mom's house, and it was Lisa from the actor studio, and she was like, "Hey," I was like, "Hi," <laughs> I didn't know her, I didn't, know... and she said, um, "We were just, we were just uh, curious," and it, it, it was a particularly bad day. It was a very, it was perfect timing. She was like, we were just curious if you were planning on continuing your application process," and I said. I didn't, no, I started the application <laughs> process, <laughs> which was an awesome way to respond to that. And uh, she had, I had forgotten to tell that teacher not to write the letter. And she, whatever she wrote in that letter made them call me at home and continue to, and then I got in. And that was one of the better things that happened to me because I, I don't know if I would have gone.
5: Hmm.
3: Or maybe yeah. I would have, but later, I, I, I don't know. And it's one of the better decisions I made.
1: The other thing uh, outside of grad school that has been really critical for me in the, since college was, of course, Cry Havoc, that Cry Havoc actually was something that we started, uh, I started with a couple of people from college in the year between uh, undergrad and grad school, with the idea being that it would be something that once I started doing theater again, we would we would do, but then it quickly became clear that it was something that could become, once I was in school it would become sort of a home base for a lot of our people who we wanted to keep working with, to continue working with after after school. So I was still, I was doing shows with actually both of you guys uh, during that time in, the, in the, the summers. What were for you guys some of the critical experiences during this period, in when you were in grad school? You, Kerry earlier said, you know, at some point in her
4: process I'm not sure at which point was it was high school or, or undergrad but that you started the process of being broken down. And in grad school that's what where that really started for me. There was a day in uh, my basic technique class and I had, I had Susan Aston mm-hmm. and I had I think since that moment in, in, under, in undergrad when uh, my buddy randomly suggests I should go be an actor and that seemed to click, I had never had any doubts whatsoever that I should be an actor that I was an interesting enough person, that I was a talented enough person to do that. And there was a day I left Susan Aston's basic technique class and I thought and I, I think most people may have this moment, this may not be a four moment, but I went, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm if I'm actually cut out for this. And I was back at that place in undergo. I'm like, I don't know what to do because I don't know if I can do this. And that was a, a seminal point for me because I had I, I think I literally had to make a choice. I went through about two weeks of not knowing if I was really, and it was depressing because because it wasn't, it was very scary because the, the, the choice I was faced with was not, do I want to do this, but can I do this? I really want to do this and I'm not sure if I'm capable. Yeah. And that was, that was really scary. But what came out of that, I, I, and so for a period of time, I just decided just keep showing up and keep trying and just whatever happened was going to happen. You know, and uh, I think most of my most satisfying artistic relationships and some of my most satisfying personal relationships have come out of that, that period of time. The teachers I, I I've had from there, you know, Susan Aston, who we've talked about, Elizabeth Campo, we've we've talked about Gene Lasco, who we've talked about, Andreas Manilakakis, the, These are people I hold in 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 very high regard, and then colleagues of mine. You know, the people sitting here have become. You know, some of my best friends in the world, as well as my most trusted colleagues, there's, I don't know how many projects Kit and I have worked on together, but he's, you know, he's he's he's, he's one of the few people I can speak as much or as little to <laughs> in a rehearsal process, and either way, it's good. <laughs> you know, the the people in our company, it's funny that some of you, know, Chris Stack and, and Carrie and, and, and Jen, these are people that I don't met either in grad school or at that period of time who have become trusted people in my life and trusted people in my artistic career and I'm, I'm very thankful for that period of my life because it was such a disconcerting period of time for me it was a new city it was a whole new way of trying to work it was a whole new social structure that to go back to what carrie said really kind of broke me down and i think i'm thankful for it because i think i probably could have gone through the rest of my life approximating what i thought an actor might be and,
5: mm-hmm.
4: and, and I don't know if I would have found the real relationships and the real type of process
1: that I tried to endeavor in without having gone there. Yeah. Well, that idea of the breakdown in grad school is a big part of what grad school is about. Um, you know, where they you know knock you down too. And the the irony of it is, is that people who go to grad school for theater, for instance, go because they think that's their great gift, that's their great talent, that's the thing that makes me special. This is the thing that I am better at than anyone else who I went to college with, so I should pursue it for a living. And then you go in, and these people who have been doing it for, for thirty years. Go, yeah, no, don't ever do it. <laughs> do, do it. That is terrible. And it really does begin to make you question, especially if you were at like I was when I was leaving college, that it's who you are. Mm-hmm. Like, and mm. I, I have seen, I mean, cause we knew people who left school. I've seen people who leave grad school when they're not done with grad school before they get to the point where they kind of go like, all right, we were sort of kidding and let me give you your stuff back. I am they can be pretty messed up because yeah. the, the, the beginning of it is really is about breaking you down. And and I actually remember, because I had Susan for basic tech, too, and I have this incredibly vivid memory and this incredibly vivid sense memory that I use, have used in the past sometimes, of right after, that I had, had a really frustrating time. Because when you, in, in, at the Actor Studio program, one of the reasons I really wanted to do it was when you're a director, you also have to take the entire acting curriculum, which was unbelievably valuable. But I fancied myself to be a pretty good actor, and Susan just kicked my ass every day and told me stop being so fake and what's wrong with you. And mm-hmm. and, and it was becoming incredibly frustrating. And finally I decided it was the last class of the day of, of the semester before winter break. And I went and I was like, okay, I've worked on this thing, I've worked on this thing, I've worked on this thing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna end the semester on a good note, and went in and felt great about it. She's like, I don't even know what to say to you. I don't, if you're not going to try, I don't know what to say. And I just remember being on the bus because Jen was with me. We're going up to Boston and I was on the bus and Jen was leaning on me and I was against the window. And I have, I just felt like I wanted to go and find Susan and kill her. <laughs> and I felt like because I couldn't move because you were lying on my shoulder, <laughs> like I, I'm like, I'm going to punch the window out of this bus. And I don't get like that about a lot of things. I yeah. was, and I literally remember I have this very clear memory of being on the bus and thinking literally fuck her. Fuck her, fuck her, fuck her. We're going to have to put explicit on this podcast because that's exactly what I thought mm. and exactly what I meant. She can't tell me, you know, she can't take all of this away from me. I know what I want. I know I didn't come in here as someone who couldn't act. So I'm going to come back and I'm going to do what I know how to do. But what I discovered was All of a sudden when I came back, I started having a lot more success, including in her class, that she liked what I was doing all of a sudden. But what I realized that it was, wasn't that I was saying, fuck her, I'm not going to do what she wants, but like I said, one of the things I had discovered when I was in undergrad was the kind of work I wanted to do. And so what I started to do was try to do the kind of work I wanted to do But I was using all of these tools that she taught me. And I think what I was trying to do through the whole first semester was to do the tools right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the end was to do my sense memory right. The end was to pick the right objective. It was to pick the right obstacle. And what I came to discover is, no, these are tools to help me do the kind of work I want to do. Not these are tools that I must do correctly. And there was something that was unbelievably freeing about that, but I think I wouldn't have discovered that if I hadn't really earned it. You know, and that really actually has, has played a huge role in my philosophy as a director, which is that, you know, I really try not to hand things to an actor and say, this is what it should be. You know, I, you know, I really think it's important to help them find what it needs to be and hopefully help them find what I know in this production, it needs to be on their own, because that's where you find real ownership over it.
3: Well, I just realized, too, what I learned, the number one thing I took away from grad school was a term I'd heard so many times but didn't quite get until recently, which is that, the, we've all heard it a times, trust your instincts. And you learn that a lot in grad school, just trust your instincts. But it wasn't until one of my teachers, I remember I had done all the work on the scene and I was just starting to understand how to use these tools and to to... But what I didn't understand is that, like, my first concept was, if you have the emotional life worked out, and then you use these tools to do what you need to do, that's it. I didn't realize that, the, that it's also the tools that you really need to have in place, and trust those, and then there's something, there's a whole other level of things that are going on, which is this instinct, air quotes, but uh, I always thought instinct was, you know, you, you, you trust that first thought, and you go. And then I realized, one day I was struggling with it, and Gene Lasco said, would you just say it and deal with it? <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, and I just talked. And that's when it started to all make sense, is just say it and deal with it. <laughs> the,
4: the, the beginning for me, and it, it's a beginning, the beginning for me, and, it's, and I'll emphasize this, it's a beginning, I certainly didn't solve all my acting problems <laughs> on this day, nor have, I, you know, nor have I done that even today. But for me, for me it was a similar situation in Susan's class where I felt like all the things that defined me and made me brilliant in my mind had been taken away from me. <laughs> and uh, I, I came to class one day, almost just, com- not not defeated, but I literally was just like, I, I literally was like, okay, fuck it. I, you know, I'm, I'm <sighs> it wasn't fuck her, it was fuck it. Because <laughs> I didn't know if I could act. I really didn't. And I threw away every ambition I had to be good. To be the thing that I wanted to be, to do the thing that I thought made it important, to do the thing I thought made it worthwhile, and I'm like, okay, fuck it. Um, this is the sense memory thing I'm working on. This is the objective. Fine, I'll just, I'll just do that. <laughs> <laughs> and. Yeah, and and I remember the first time I did that You know, I we had we had created these characters and we had to write our own monologue with this character and she had just been destroying me <laughs> left and right and I hope I don't get the impression that Susan is like a destroyer of souls because she's I, I think she's an amazing teacher but she's incredibly blunt and compl- incredibly honest incredibly truthful uh, from her perspective and so I kept bringing this thing in and I remember you know my big day where I had like sort of the the, the the question mark in my soul where she just went, you are just so full of shit. <laughs> and, and I and that's why I just released everything, any sort of ambition, because I was like, great, oh, I'm I'm full of shit. The thing I think I'm good at, I'm, I'm a complete fraud at. And so I walked in, I'm like, okay, fine. I'm just going to do this thing and I'm just going to simplify it. And I, and I didn't even say simplify but I'm like, I'm just going to do this one thing, I guess.
5: <laughs>
4: and I did it, I got done. And... Not that I was looking for approval, but it was clear that that rehearsal of that piece that day worked for her. That was satisfying for her. That whatever the whatever the the parameters of how you work, I had begun to to start to satisfy them. Mm-hmm. And it was only later on, after you know, you oscillate back and forth between your ambitions and and being frustrated. And you there's it's not a straight through line ever. But I've realized that, you know, we've talked about goal setting, and about how you rehearse and things like that. And I try to hold on to that fuck it moment without being as mm-hmm. defeat and depressed about it. Is that, especially when in doubt, to, to just
1: simplify your work to the one thing, to the one thing that's, that is the work. You know, I, I remember, you know, our first day of school, the dean said, you know, all of you will one day have an experience in one of your classes, maybe it'll be first semester, maybe second, maybe in your second year, but where you will realize I have never truly acted before. And I thought, well, all right, I've acted before, so I don't know what to tell you, but <laughs> I understand rallying call. But I, there was one day, and it was a second semester after I'd done my thing, but still I was, we were... Uh, doing it was the same project, the monologue you had to write. I remember I was doing it, and she was like, no, you, I don't believe it. I, tell it again. Say it again. And I was going and getting so frustrated and so frustrated and so frustrated, and she said, just stop thinking it and say it. And so I just did. And it felt like nothing I had ever felt before. And I thought, oh my God, he was right. I have never acted before. But what I loved was after all that pushing, all that pushing, all that pushing, and I was really... Did not like her very much at that time. That I, I stopped and I looked, and just this look on her face that was like, "This is what we've been here for," hmm. and that uh, this wasn't just to be mean. This is what we're here for. And what she said was, "And how is that?" Which I actually generally now realize I say that to actors all the time because that was because that was the thing is was how was that and the answer was that was good I know that was good I can feel that was good and I know that's the thing I need to be looking for in the future, um, you know so part of that is is to say if anyone is thinking about going to grad school expect the first several months of it to be terrible and if it isn't you're doing it wrong. Um, because that really is, is so important, because ultimately you do need to get back the parts of your process that work, but you need to totally tear it apart to find out what they are.
4: My experience with Susan was I, I never hated her.
1: I, I mostly hated myself
4: in those moments <laughs> that I was frustrated. But what I do know is that I, I desperately wanted her respect. Mm-hmm. And uh, I desperately wanted her to to respect me as an actor. And as a result of that, You know, I think I jammed myself up because I kept coming in trying to impress her and trying to do things that were impressive. And partly because that's the only thing I knew because up to that point, you know, I had basically gotten through whatever career I had had as an actor by being impressive and being able to fool most of the people most of the time into thinking that that was a truthful or or exciting performance. And it was only once I really decided that (laughs) Just sort of give up that dream of impressing her. That I was able to to fall in, into the simplicity of just of of doing
1: the work. It's funny because because I remember her saying the first day of class, and we both had it, but we were not in the same class. Right. We were, um But she said, you know, don't try to impress me because you're not gunning. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, just wait. <laughs> well, exactly. And I and I thought, well, that's yeah, great. but. But I think really what I came to realize later she meant by that, and it's true, is you, you can't do impressive work if you're worried about impressing people. Yeah. You know, you need to be doing the work. Mm-hmm. And that's what's impressive, especially when you're watching an actor, when you believe in working the way that I think we kind of collectively believe in working, is you want to believe that the person is doing this thing because they need it in their life and not because they're being watched. You know and, and so it, it really is one of those things that I know when I can feel an actor in rehearsal is trying to impress me, which I think is what, what actors sometimes want to do is they want to please the director, they want to please the playwright. I mean, I understand that impulse, but you know it actually is something that you know a, a, a director, or at least this director doesn't want this director wants you to bring what you got to the table and wrangle with it. You know? What about you guys who didn't go to grad school? What has your experience been like? Uh, since college
2: it's interesting because I graduated college and I knew you and I kind of got associated really quick with the group the group of you all and worked with you um, enormously and I think I've learned I mean I feel like I've kind of received a training program and working with everyone that we work with now with cry havoc and i I feel like I've learned a ton um, and I feel like at some point I should pay Susan Aston and Jean Lasco <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. I feel like I kind of, I, I mean not to the extent obviously, but I feel like I I have received their training, you know. You can a, figure out the, a step the, a the percentage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <All> <laughs> sudden, a random anonymous check in the mail. Um, but I mean I'm still learning, um, but I, I find it enormously helpful surrounding yourself with people who you respect and trust and and I constantly feel challenged in a good way and I think a way that other people, you know, should be working and I don't know, I I find it just interesting that I haven't gone to grad school but I kind of feel like I've received that, (laughs) I a bit of that.
0: I I feel similarly, uh, especially because I was there when um, Tim and Kit and Carrie were going through grad school and so all the frustrations, all the moments that you have just described, I was, I listened to. Them as they happened, and then saw you work through them. So, I I did I do kind of feel like I got a little bit of grad school by osmosis. But I also recognized that I wasn't there. I wasn't doing it myself. That there were things that I knew had to be learned that I had not learned myself. Um, so I do feel a little bit that you know that 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 there's still more that I could learn actually one of the things to track back a little bit to the end of college um, which is when Kit went to grad school almost you know a year after I thought when I graduated from college one of the things I knew was that being an actor for a career was not something that I could do I knew that I was it was really hard you, you know, that it was flighty in some way to try to be an actor for a living, and that that it was a sort of a misuse of of myself as a person that to not try to do something hard. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, I thought I was going to be a scientist. I, I had no idea at the time what that meant, but that's what I was studying. I thought, you know, that was the way to go. I also... I'm also a Canadian citizen so I thought I couldn't work as an actor because I couldn't get a visa as an actor so I thought that was impossible and you know with all of that and you couldn't do it as a hobby in New York because everyone was trying to be a professional so I kind of thought at the end of college that my being an actor was done and that is something that I learned through the period when you guys were in grad school was that I wasn't ready for it to be done, and, and that I didn't, I didn't have everything I needed yet to do it, but that I was I wish I knew then what I knew now about what I could have done. I've limited myself in a way that wasn't necessary, and so that, that's something that I learned through that period, and even now.
1: Well, you have made a, a transition over time from being an actor, and now you're primarily a playwright.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, how, did, how did that happen?
0: Well, part of that was that uh, we were, uh, Cry Havoc was uh, really picking up the workshop after you guys finished grad school. So we were meeting twice a week at that time for a couple hours, and I was participating as an actor. So we would do scene work, monologues, you know, we would work, Kit would write plays and we would work through them. So I was working as an actor in that group, but I thought I would just try playwriting, you know, I just just want to see if I could. You know, I, I had experience as a writer. So I just tried to think of what a play would be and write one. And I had pretty good response to it in that group. And that, that play got accepted to a festival and did pretty well in the festival. So I had early success there. But it, it was also one of those things that I thought I could, that even with the limitations I thought I had, I could do the playwriting better than the act. Like you didn't have to um, have a visa (laughs) to write a play like you had to to get an acting job. You don't actually need a visa to get an acting job, by the way, Uh, because most jobs don't pay you. Um, (laughs) But it was something that I thought would fill fill that part of my life in a way that I wasn't letting acting. And I still sort of consider my, I'm not, I don't consider myself like a retired actor. I just kind of like I'm on hold but writing is what i'm trying to do right
1: now and jenny in a somewhat similar i know when you graduated from college you actually were aiming as i recall to be a stage manager oh right so how have you made that transition to being primarily an actor
2: i think i first decided that i really wanted to be an actor was after Kit directed me and Romeo and Juliet, I was like, this, I really like doing this, I want to do this. And, and since then, I've, I've certainly assistant, been a, you know an assistant director to you and a stage manager to you. And I think it wasn't until, because my first job out of college, I was an administrative assistant at the Ford Center for the Performing Arts, which was Broadway theater. And like when they were in tech rehearsals and when they would do rehearsals for understudies, I would kind of hear it over our PA system in the office. And that was kind of when I and I don't know what it was about it, but I was just like I don't want to do that. I want to do this thing that I have recently really enjoyed. I know I have a lot to learn with it, but it's challenging me and I really want to do that. Even though I think I'm an excellent stage manager, I want I want to I want to be on the acting side of that.
0: I think one of the things that I learned from that from that time of my life being so close to so many people who were pursuing it professionally was what it actually takes what it actually means to be an actor for a living that, you know, being an actor for a living isn't being in a play all the time hopefully, eventually it is but it's about the um, auditioning and the networking and the being prepared and and the, you know, the a lot of the things that were, that are n- negatives but that actually you have to learn how to negotiate in order for it to be what you do and not just a hobby. And I don't think I knew that before I saw people actually doing it.
1: It's interesting that that you say that that you absorbed that during the grad school time, because actually that was sort of the big misconception that I was left with at the end of grad school, was that now it was going to be easy. I think I had to convince myself that I have a degree now it's time to go and that I had the talent and the tools and that was going to be enough. And I remember when I got out of school, I had a couple of the directing faculty ask me to assistant direct them on like big off-Broadway productions. And I said, no, thank you. I'm going to go do my own work. Thank you. And then after five years of doing a lot of work, I was proud of, but nobody saw. And really beginning to question whether or not I was going to be able to have a career. I mean, Tim, I think you know of our grad school class, there are only a handful of people who are still in the business, and we've only been out eight years or so. I mean, it's tough, but I, I ended up applying for a fellowship through the Directors Union to observe on a Broadway show, and that's where I met Lonnie Price, who was directing the show. And since then, I've been his associate director on a bunch of projects and started working in television, and I went to South Africa with him for two months to work on Master Harold and the Boys. And what I really learned from that is what we talked about at the beginning, which is it's like high school in terms of that people want to be helpful and people want to help the people they know. And that's around. Yeah, so much of a part because Lonnie has become a wonderful friend and a wonderful colleague. And, you know, and I've met all sorts of other wonderful friends and colleagues, and friends and colleagues who are the kind of people who have careers that are the kind of careers that I want to have, you know, but that was because I found a way to be around. And I think that that is just sort of the most recent, most critical lesson that I've learned, uh, and one that I wish I had known before, you know, which is people wanna be helpful, but you gotta be in a place where they can see you. And it's okay if you're anywhere in your 20s or even 30s, and you're doing something just to be in the right place, you don't have to be the star. You don't even have to be in the show. If you're a PA who's helping to spike the floor, it's a great place to be if it's working in a place you eventually want to work at. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good place to wrap up. For those of you who are listening and like what you're hearing and want other people to know it, please let them know the podcast is out there or go to iTunes and write us a review. Also, if you are listening and aren't subscribed, go to iTunes and subscribe. If you want to know more about the Cry Havoc Company and public events that you can come see, go to www.cryhavoccompany.org. And we will be back in our third season with more topics and more people joining us. So for myself, Jen, Jenny, Carrie, and Tim, and everyone at the Cry Havoc Company, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.